Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. On this episode of New Books in Science Fiction and Fantasy, I'll be speaking with Marguerite Reed, author of Archangel, which was nominated for this year's Philip K. Dick Award. I've been speaking with all the nominees this year. You can find my conversations with Brenda Cooper, Douglas Lane, and PJ Manny on the New Books Network site. And after speaking with Marguerite today, I plan to talk with the other nominees, Adam Rakunis and Ramez Nam, as well. But today, we're focusing on Archangel and Marguerite Reed, who's on the line with me now. Hi, Marguerite. Hi, Rob. How are you? Very well. Very well. Archangel is set in a paradise under threat, and it features a complex heroine, Vashti Lauren, who's considered a hero among her fellow colonists on the planet of Eubostis. And I would say she's about as tough as tough can be. She's a scientist. She's a hunter. <laughs> and I think she's the only person who actually has a license to kill another human being, if I, if I understood that correctly. And this is in a world that is largely pacifist. Correct. Pacifist and vegetarian. And she breaks both rules. The first thing we really get to know about Vashti is that she's a mother. Right. And her interactions with her daughter, Bibi, are some of the most beautiful passages in the book. Oh, thank you. Well, you're welcome. I wondered why you decided to put her relationship with uh, with Bibi at the forefront of the novel. Uh, because it's something you don't see. So many protagonists, whether in science fiction or fantasy or just straight-up adventure fiction and film media, uh, are disconnected or separate or isolated from family ties. And I wanted to see if I could write something uh, where people did have family ties, where they were connected, as we so often are in the real world. I always thought it was because it's easier to put a, a heroine or a hero through the obstacle course that usually confronts them in a book like this and the dangers when they don't have so many personal ties. So did it make it more challenging for you to write a book where Vashti is put in danger? No, I don't think so. I mean, I in the fact that I had to remember that, you know, yeah, she does have daycare and we have to get her to daycare uh, and just keep in mind those issues rather than have Vashti herring off willy-nilly. That's right. It seemed to me that it really informed her work on the planet. Although she's also a, a hunter, she's a scientist and she's contributing to humankind's understanding of the flora and fauna on this planet. And And there's a beautiful passage in the book where she talks about how she changed after she gave birth to Bibi, how everything, yeah. you know, uh, cut me, broke me, sliced me open, cleft my soul. I mean, that's, that's I'm reading um, from that passage. Right. Virgin I was. Right. Right. So I guess it does, it does, I mean, it, do you think it makes her a better scientist being, being a mom? Of course. Maybe it's being a scientist is not as easy for her as it might be for someone who can, um, oh, what's the word that I want, uh, who can be objective, but I think it makes her a better scientist because she can see the synthesis of things. She knows everything is connected. 
Exactly, and that's what that passage kind of suggests. Maybe I'll read just a little bit of it. After B.B., everything cut me, broke me, sliced me open, cleft my soul. I was B.B.'s mother. Mm -hmm. I was also mother to the toddler, five houses to the west. To the newborn, I had seen strapped to her father's back as he trudged off to the nearest hangar for restock. Mother I was to the sober gangling students in New Albuquerque's one school. Mother I was to the young people who taught them. And then she goes on to say that uh, basically, you know, everything that crept and swam and ran and flew was mine. From the pseudo-tarsiers prying up the skin of the helix tree for the insects scurrying beneath to the insects themselves. I mean, it's, it's almost like she's, a, she's an Eve, a primal Eve figure. Mm-hmm. Or, or a mother figure, a Gaia figure. That's right. So I suppose you were drawing on your own. I mean, when you're writing those passages, I mean, you, you have kids. Are you, you picturing your own child or children? Oh, right. Well, I, I started writing it uh, after a couple years after I had my first child. Ah, so there you go. So, you, so your head was naturally in that space, I guess. Right, right. And, and I was able to do some observation from life to put her and, and my other daughter in there. Well, and so Vashti is incredibly gentle with her daughter, and she's loving and, and everything. But everywhere else, we see how tough she is. Uh, and she's also suffered this really horrible trauma. You know, her, she sees her husband get killed by a genetically enhanced human soldier. So I, I wonder if you could talk just a bit more mm-hmm. about Vashti and how you came to build the the book around her? Uh, well, honestly, I I just sat down and started writing the book that I wanted to read, I guess, with a protagonist that I wanted to read about. Um, I, I guess if you can narrow down that question just a little bit, well, she suffered a horrible trauma, seeing her husband be murdered, and she's spent the last four years, you know, still trying to recover mm-hmm. from this, this trauma. And that's, a, that's an interesting choice to make. And I wondered, you know, if there's anything you could say about why you were drawn to a character like this, who uses this, this traumatic moment, also, I suppose, draws on it for strength and inspiration yeah yeah well it's 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 her yeah it's her it's her driving motivation is is the desire the thirst for revenge um you know in in so many uh books movies what have you we see that the male protagonist uh is driven because of some off-screen or very briefly on-screen uh female uh, relationship, and, and then they're what we call fridged. You know, they 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 get done away with, and that's his motive. Well, one thing uh, I wanted to happen was I wanted to gender flip some things, and and see what would happen if the the big powerful male uh, was not in the picture, or the one who had been so instrumental in her life was not in the picture. She has many different roles in the book, you know, both mother, but she's also a hero to the colonists on this planet because of what she's been through and because she had been married to one of the their their earliest leaders. And I find it interesting that they, alter- right. they alternately call her doctor and commander. 
you know, she keeps reading into that. When someone decides to call her doctor, it means one thing. When they call her commander, it means something else. Right. Well, she's she's more of a hero to them for for her status of of that uh, widow of the uh, of the great man. Um, what she does is is not so heroic to them. That is with with the hunting. Um, one reason why I wanted to go that way with regards to her status was to sort of look at ideas of women in history whose status originally drew from their spouses, like uh, Coretta Scott King. Oh, interesting. Maybe we could talk just a little bit about, you know, her overall challenge. At the core of the book, mm-hmm. the story is about, well, is largely, in the, the bigger context, is this planet, Eubostis, which uh, is a colony. Mm-hmm. And there seems that the dramatic tension overlying the whole planet is the fact that there's a vote coming up. And there's uh, the vote. Maybe you could just explain what that is and, and what the issues that are, that are raised by that. Well, this is something that kind of snuck up on me. Uh, I was first looking at it from Vashti's point of view to protect this place and keeping in mind our, our current uh, trashing of the environment by overdevelopment and exploitation. And from Vashti's point of view and many of the other colonists' point of view, the possibility of that kind of treatment happening to Vashti's is, of course, horrifying. And then I realized that I was also writing about a different kind of immigration, uh, sort of an uneasy look at our modern take on immigration, which surprised me quite a bit. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Because you 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 present this world as a as a haven that very few people have been allowed into at this point, and the vote that's coming up mm-hmm. is basically a decision whether or not to allow more people in and how many more, and and clearly there's suffering going on in other planets, and there's there's huge numbers of people who uh, are living in dire circumstances who really want to come to this planet. So, you know, I hadn't actually made that connection until you, you said it, but I see the obvious parallels. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's not an obvious black or white, uh, uh, situation or decision. Right, right. It isn't because the threats to this planet after, I mean, the, these, are, everyone here is descended from earth and they, they have, uh, records and, uh, footage of Earth mm-hmm. having been destroyed by by what humans have done. So that's the concern here for the people who've landed on Eubastus. They wanna they wanna preserve it. Mm-hmm. They wanna understand it first. That's ostensibly right. what Vashti's doing. She's trying to understand it and catalog the flora and fauna, and they wanna do their best to protect it. Right. They want to keep the immigration very slow. I think one of the funnest challenges of writing uh, of science fiction is creating a plausible world. So, so how do you go about creating uh, Eubastus? I mean, it's got it's got its own culture. It seems people to be seem to be uh, kind of religious. Actually, there's calls to prayer. Uh, they they live among what se- mm-hmm. what seem to be like dinosaurs, or certainly that's what comes to mind a uh, prehistoric Earth kind mm-hmm. of setting. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how you built this uh, built this world. I threw everything that I liked into the the stock pot, including the kitchen sink. Yeah. So what? So what does that mean? You like dinosaurs? You like? Oh yeah. Who doesn't like dinosaurs? So I was I was looking at you know parallel and convergent evolution, 
uh, what would be feasible, what wouldn't be feasible. Um, kind, kind of, you know, trying to do, I guess you could say, if to look at it with broad strokes, kind of a parallel Earth in an earlier time period before, uh, before significant rise of mammals. Right. And what about the human culture? I mean, a lot of the words you use, I mean, are they Arabic? They're Hindi? Uh, you have Muslims living among Christians? I mean, is this your, your mm-hmm. is, is this draw from any personal experience of yours? Is this just uh, pure fantasy? Is this the world you'd like to see here on Earth? But partly it's, it's the world that I'd like to see here on Earth. And certainly in the world's history, there have been instances of Muslims, Christians, Jews living together in, in reasonable harmony. And the, that is, a, as I said, that is something else that, that I would like to see. I would like to see more thoughtful exploration of how religion affects people in every day, rather than it be something negative or, or something to be fought or mocked. I wanted to portray people who, who live their lives through their religion. Or it's a part of their life. Yeah, that's interesting because you certainly don't see that very much in science fiction. Mm-hmm. So is that because, I mean, are you religious? Well, you'd have to define religious. I, I can say that I'm, I'm, I'm not an atheist. We can say that. Not that I have a, a problem with atheism, but again, it's not something that, that you see explored in science fiction. No, that's right. You know, and that that helps make your story unique and and make the world and prob- and make the world seem more plausible in a way because when haven't humans been having religiosity and religion, you know, as part of their culture. Mm-hmm. So, another key thing I think you raise is really a lot of questions about what makes us human. And and interestingly, a lot of your fellow Philip K. Dick Award nominees seem to be tackling this issue of consciousness and what it is to be human. Yeah, from from different angles, actually, too. So, so you seem to be doing it uh, at it mm-hmm. largely through genetics, right? As as opposed to nanotechnology or or other other means of tinkering with humanity. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, in Archangel, it seems like most people are genetically enhanced in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, some are just to make themselves more attractive. Also, some it seems like culturally violence has been bred out of the human race. On the one hand, but on the other hand, you have these creatures called beasts mm-hmm. who are basically super enhanced soldiers who have ex- have mm-hmm. in the past you know been destroyed because they're so dangerous and then one of these dudes shows up on this planet and sort of becomes right and everybody freaks out exactly exactly especially Vashti because you know one of these mm-hmm. these so-called beasts is what killed her uh, husband yeah yeah and and she wants to lay for him immediately but she finds herself in the odd position of saving his life, of standing up for him. She comes to question herself thoroughly as the book goes on. Yeah, and it's really a fascinating pairing because she's one of the few people who hasn't been genetically enhanced at all, at all. and and here mm-hmm. she is standing up for this guy who, who has been so enhanced that many of her fellow citizens feel that he's subhuman, really, and, and should be killed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, subhuman or extrahuman and certainly not subject to the same legal status as as they have. 
So did you reach any conclusions uh, in your own mind about, you know, what genetic manipulation means for, for the human race? I mean, good or bad? I don't know yet. I mean, certainly there's, there's uh, new technology happening all the time, and in 10 years, uh, who knows what we'll, uh, what we'll be doing, what operations, what procedures will become standard an old hat, and what will be on the horizon. Now, I think it's something certainly that we need to be careful of, uh, but there could be enormous benefits. Yeah, and so what's your background, actually? Have you, and what kind of research did you did you do? Or, uh, I mean, is this largely from your imagination? Uh, well, you know, I... I I try to read scientific publications. Um, I worked in a doctor's office for a, a few years and so had access to to things that really sparked my, yeah, sparked my imagination. And then there would be things that I would think of and say, wow, is that possible? And then I'd go have to look it up. Tell me about your, your writing just in general. I mean, this is your first novel. Yeah, it's my first novel. And what drew you to science fiction? Oh, well, um, when I was a teenager, I thought that I would be a writer of fantasy. And then when I got into college, I thought I would be a writer of historical fiction. And then somehow I just started falling in love with the idea of exploring science through fiction. Uh, and that's, that's how I came to science fiction. Well, it certainly allows you to explore, as a lot of writers do through science fiction, current issues of the day, uh, as you mentioned, immigration and environmental degradation, but also, you know, what it means to be a, a woman in society and how women are portrayed and thought of. And it's, it's ha like having the whole cosmos as your sandbox. It's wonderful. That's right. So, so how do you how do you work writing into your day? Is it uh, when the kids are at school, or do you do you have a day job too, and you work at night? Well, my husband was patient enough to let me quit my job last October so that I could finish the sequel to uh, Archangel. But before then, I had been trying to write around my day job, getting up early in the morning, uh, early on the weekends writing around the kids, as it were. But that was going kind of pokey. The Philip K. Dick Award must give you a good sense of validation. Not... Oh, yeah. Well, to have your work recognized, but also after having, you know, taken that leap into the unknown by leaving your job to write full-time. So that, that, yeah, must have been amazing. Well, what was so funny is that before the day before I heard about this, I had been whining on Facebook saying, I really hope something will happen that impress. Oh, I was saying that I wish I could do something that would impress my husband. And then the next day, the news about the nomination happened. And yes, he was impressed. Nice. Fantastic. So tell me a little bit about the sequel. Is it? Uh, do you envision two books or more than two books in the series? Oh, it's a tr it's a trilogy. And is there anything you can say about the direction it's heading in? Or uh, well, it's it's going to be um, there's going to be further examination of what it means to be human. There's going to be a, an expansion on the role of beasts uh, and what they are, what they can do, and uh, the status of Ubastus among in the government 
Great. And is it all planned out? Do you know what happens at the very end of the third book or, or is it still up in the air? At the very end of the third book? Yes, I know. I know, I know what happens. At least I think I know right now, but that's the tricky thing about books. Sometimes they can go in directions that you didn't quite expect. That's exciting. And as you were writing Archangel, did you have any, say, like dead ends or major changes that you made as you were going through it that you had, you realized something wasn't working and you had to flip it all around? Oh, there were some characters and storylines that got cut out kind of early on. That's good, but no major rewriting. Um. No, nothing, nothing I would say that it was major rewriting. My editor, Darren Bradley, was an absolute peach when, when it, it came to directing me and telling me what would make it better, what, would, what was extraneous, what I should do, you know, on this page or over in that scene. He was wonderful. Great. Well, I think we've covered a lot of ground. Yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Marguerite, for uh, taking the time uh, to speak with me today. Oh, it was a treat, Rob. I've been speaking with Marguerite Reed, whose book, Archangel, has been nominated for this year's Philip K. Dick Award. You can listen to my interviews with other of this year's Philip K. Dick Award nominees on iTunes or other podcasting apps or on our page on the New Books Network. The easiest way to find us on the network is to go to the newbooksnetwork.com page and use the Arts and Letters drop-down menu and click on Science Fiction. Our logo is by Michael Thibodeau and music by Michael Aaron. The editor of the New Books Network is Marshall Poe. This podcast is on Twitter at New Books Sci-Fi or on Facebook at NB Science Fiction. I'm Rob Wolf, author of The Alternate Universe and The Escape. And you can find me on Twitter at Rob Wolf Books. Thanks for listening. <laughs>